Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. We're all about the archers. I'm Philippa. And I'm Quentin. We are here to talk to Jeremy Howe, the editor of The Archers. Jeremy, welcome to All About The Archers. Hi, nice to be here. Great to have you on. Very grateful. I was talking to someone about you coming on and they said, well, what does the editor do in The Archers? And I said, well, I think, I might be wrong, but I think if The Archers was a school... Jeremy would be the headmaster. Have I got it right or have I got it horribly wrong? I think the interesting thing about headmaster is you kind of, as a pupil, you don't really know what a head teacher does, do you? As the parent of children at school, you can see if a school's got a good head teacher, it's really good. And if they're a not so good head teacher, the school goes down the swanee. But I don't know what kind of alchemy a head teacher does, and you certainly very rarely in the classroom. I mean, I think one of the, not regrets, because I hadn't directed for, for yonks before I did the job, but I, I, I don't spend enough time in the studio because I've got a lot of other calls on my time, really. And that's where you get your hands dirty. And it's, it's lovely having contact with the cast. And I don't do that enough, but I don't think I've got enough time to do it any more than I do. Jeremy, like you, I, I was a, a BBC lifer. I, I worked for the BBC for 36 years. When you're in the BBC, there are certain sort of plum jobs that everybody goes, yeah, that's a... That's one of the top jobs. I mean, you're thinking things like editor of the Today programme, back in the day, editor of Blue Peter, controller of Radio 4, but editor of the Archers is, is right up there. Is that how you regard it as one of the, the plum jobs in the Beep? Well, I hadn't been in production for a long time before. I mean, I was commissioning editor of all the drama and fiction on Radio 4. And of course, I had oversight of the Archers. And I love commissioning. It was great. But it's a bit smoke and mirrors. And I kind of wanted to go back into production. And it seemed to me the only job that I really wanted to do was to be the editor of The Archers. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, yeah, it is a privilege. When I got the job, one of my colleagues at Radio 4 said, so what's it like knowing you're carrying a very precious Ming vase across an incredibly crowded room and you've got to get to the other side of it without smashing it? 
Yeah, I mean, she's right in a way. But actually, what it, it made me think was, what would Grayson Perry do with that vase? He would carry it across the room, but he'd change it. Because if you just leave something in aspic, it's just a, a very precious Ming vase, you carry it from one side of the room to the other, it ceases to be a, a living, breathing, growing entity. So, I mean, I think, and I was aware that that's that I think that's the challenge of being editor of the Archers. Are you, I mean, I am a custodian. There's a church around the corner from us, which has a list of the vicars of the church going back to 1200. And, and each of those vicars has had to look after the parish and hand it on. And I think one of my, one of my jobs is to carry that Ming vase, be that vicar, and to make sure I, I leave it in, in, in good nick. But I think the important thing about being in good nick is the show has to grow, change. I've, there's a scene coming up where they discuss farming back in the kind of immediate period from uh, post-war period and how it's changed in Ambridge across the decades. And it made me realise that everything is the same in Ambridge and everything is different. You've got St Stephen's Church there. You've got the bull was around in 1950 when, when we decided on there. You've got Lakey Hill, etc., and it's all the same, but everything has completely changed. I mean, it's completely a completely <laughs> different cast for a start. I mean, one of the one of the most challenging things I've had to come to terms with is that on my office wall is a laminated page one of the first script, and June Spencer's name is on the script. And it, and and just like as I said, the formatting of the front page is almost exactly the same as the formatting on the front page of scripts now. And now that that June has retired at the age of 102, 103 now, but now that June has retired, she's our last kind of umbilical link with the archers that started. And so everything has remained the same, and everything's changed. And I need, I as an editor. I think I need to be part of that change because otherwise the show, I mean, the show is, I mean, touching wood here, I'm not sure this is real wood, but me as BBC wood, the show is in, in fine form. It's still very popular and long may it last. And it's my job to make sure that I carry it to the next custodian, to the next vicar of Ambridge, as it were, in fine fettle. And in order to do that, the show has to change. I mean, some would say that it feels like the Archers has been going since 1200, which is part of its attraction. It is, but it is extraordinary, don't you think? So one of the yeah. one of the things that when we were 70, one of the things which we didn't couldn't really capitalise on because the actor got COVID because he was in the middle of COVID, so we couldn't do very much about it, and we had to rewrite the script somewhat because he was unwell. But Tony Archer was the first baby born in the Archers. And there we were celebrating his 70th birthday. Extraordinary. <laughs> I'll check the records, Quentin, to see if we do go back to 1200. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm just going back to that Philippa was asking about in terms of your role. We, we're, we're aware of script writers. We're aware of script editors. But where does the editor fit into all of that? Do you have the final say? Do you set the agenda? These are the storylines I would like to see explored. Well, go forth as Philippa may recall from Hay, what I said the editor does, because I wanted to explain what I did to the audience there, he sits with his feet on the table and says yes or no. <laughs> um, uh, I like that. Uh, yeah, you kind, of, you kind of set the mood music. I mean, I think the most important thing that an editor needs to do is 
delegate, delegate. I can't act all the parts. I can't write all the scripts. I can't write all the stories. And it's just to, it's to trust and it, when it not to trust, it's to enable other people to be creative and sort of share your vision. But I mean, I think the interesting thing about the archers is that I think you find anyone working on the archers, they eat, sleep and drink and dream the archers. So it's not like I have to kind of force them to think in terms of the archers. It's the same with the listeners, Jeremy. <laughs> well, that's fantastic, isn't it? To have such such an incredibly loyal and passionate... And knowledgeable, yes. Yeah. It's, it's very exciting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's what I wanted to ask you about, Jeremy, because all sorts of soap operas have fandoms, but The Archers is something different because it comes with us. It comes with us on our walks. It comes with us in our sort of darkest hours, our finest hours. It's in the car with us. It's so personal and we all have very firm views on what's going on. And the fandom is incredible. Are you aware of just how extensive the fandom is? Of course I am, yeah. It's a mixed blessing, though, is it? Sometimes the last thing you ever want to tell anyone is, uh, I'm the end of the archers kind of thing, because you know <laughs> I have an opinion. But yes, I mean, I, we are all very aware of, a, how passionate the audience are, and B, what yeah. happens when we get it wrong. So, so are we, Jeremy. <laughs> just going, just returning to your carrying that Ming vase and the fact that the archers in Predator. That Ming vase as decorated by Grayson Perry. Excellent. Absolutely, yes. And that you feel that as an editor, you need to nurture it and make it grow and change. I mean, you've seen a particular change in your tenure because there's been a clear transition, hasn't there? passing on of the baton from introducing a lot of younger characters, Chelsea, and establishing them, Chelsea, Brad, George, Mir, just to name a few. The departure of really long-established characters, Peggy, Jenny, Shula, and sadly, of course, Robert. How delicate an operation has that been for you as the editor? Because we are very passionate about the established characters and you're introducing all these young'uns. Well, I mean, there has been no concerted strategic policy to bring on youth as it were but I'm very aware that the show needs to keep on renewing itself and generationally it does need to renew itself and so we did bring on some young characters but we've also brought on less young characters you probably can get less young than Leonard (laughs) we just wanted to explore but Jill and Leonard in love it's a really nice Mm. story I think so there's no kind of concerted strategy but you know we kind of thought well we've got Pippa we've got Josh we need Ben um so we grew the the Brookfield family and we were all itching to introduce Rory mm. I mean they're brilliant they are just brilliant but I think one of the real triumphs kind of editorially is the Horribins and the Horribins were kind of quite bit part characters when I turned up and I remember listening to a scene with Tracy I think I don't even know who who this is and then I bumped into Susie Riddell who plays Tracy I thought god yeah let's big it up and then of course because we had Tracy we were really keen to explore Brad and Chelsea as well and it was my privilege to direct the first scenes of the family together having breakfast in a really kind of bad tempered kind of adolescent way and I just thought, oh, we have hit pay dirt here. So then we, they were just brilliant together. 
And I suppose that's what drives the storytelling. It's not, yeah, we, we need a lot of more young characters um, for whatever. It's just you kind of want to create good characters that give you a kind of more scope for storytelling. And my reaction to the Horribles at breakfast was it was sort of, I thought, oh, this is the Waltons on acid. I mean, they were just brilliant, I thought. And out of that, we've grown the Horribles to be further to the front than they were six years ago yeah we, we've had Madeline on as a guest on on our podcast and she was delightful we have to say and the the other revelation she's phenomenal fantastic I mean, she's not yeah. delightful she's phenomenal and as brother and sister they are just brilliant and the other revelation of course is Henry you've given Henry a voice and uh, I'm a big fan of Henry I mean I think in some many respects he and Brad are the only two adults in, in Ambridge often <laughs> Yeah, I think right there. <laughs> yeah, Henry yeah. great, isn't he? But it, it was going to be very difficult to tell the Robin and Helen story without mm. Henry. So yeah, he he's back. brilliantly acted. I yeah, I really commend. Is it Blake Darby who plays yeah. Henry? It's stunning. Blake is just yeah, yeah, brilliant. Very he? good. Very How old is he in real life, Jeremy? Seventy-four. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite young then for the archers. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't asked him his age. He's very good. He's very good. Yeah. I'm interested, Jeremy, because you say you met Susie and that gave you the idea of doing more with her character. Do, at Christmas, do you get sort of gift baskets from some of the cast members hoping that you will uh, expand their characters even more? No, but that's a good idea. No, I think I think they sort of trust us to tell the stories to tell them right i think as an editor i think if i've got a philosophy is that clearly the story is really important but what drives the show i think what makes the show so special is the brilliant characters they're kind of shakespearean in their range i think and godfrey basley who invented the show was clearly a genius when it came to creating characters but i think it's now part of our DNA to create good characters. I mean, I think Rory is brilliant and we've invented him from scratch. Leonard is completely delightful. We've invented him from scratch. But you're kind of, you're working, and the Horribans especially, but what you're doing is you're kind of, we're all, everyone on the team is in the soup of the archers. And so it kind of, it's natural that we create great characters. But I think, and of course the casting is key there. I mean, we do have a truly brilliant cast I mean, they are wonderful. I love working with our cast. It's just that, and so it's a two-way street. We're giving them the stories. They magnify the stories as they perform them. And so we think, oh, yes, we'll do that with that story. Because, you know, I think looking at character and thinking about character is the way that we drive the archers. Well, talking of strong characters, I mean, we've got Helen Robb, of course. And we're recording this on a Wednesday, the day after Jack pulled out from seeing... Rob. Wasn't it heartbreaking? I mean, I felt sorry for Rob. Yeah, I mean, what was going on? I mean, you've sown so much division, Jeremy, with this one. Are you aware of the schism this has caused amongst the fandom? Yeah, but do you think he's really ill or not? Oh, this is it, is he? <laughs> I think he is, myself. Yes. I think we need to take a vote here. Or is he going to be like the wolf and suddenly jump out of bed and sort of, yes, because Helen's contravened the order protecting Jack? Well, yeah, I mean, my lips, my lips are sealed. I mean, you'd have to speak to Rob because I wouldn't know. Um, well, I mean, I, I, to be honest, I've got to be honest with you, Jeremy. I mean, I and others felt really short change last night because you, you consider what you've put us all through up to this point and then Jack pulls out and we're going, no, <laughs> tell me 
There's more. I mean, that's not it, is it, surely? Come on, Jeremy. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. He's not going to tell you, Quentin. We're, we're pro- <laughs> but I do urge you. I do urge you to listen to, particularly to tomorrow night's and Friday night's episodes. They're quite revealing. Oh, so, well, this will go out after those episodes, so yes, it will be reflecting on those. How exciting! Well, listeners, I I hope you've enjoyed the full story arc of this week's yeah. Archers because it's oh been quite dramatic. Oh, I can't wait for for the rest. Are you Are you aware of of what Helen puts us through, Jeremy. I mean, do you realise what the pain that we go through with with Helen? Of course, they're deliberately doing it to mess with us. I just want to check with Jeremy. Yeah, no, I mean, the, the uh, we we sit in story conferences and we just say, uh, "How can we mess with everyone's head?" <laughs> yeah, that's it. Well, you are. When I inherited the Archers, obviously I'd had oversight of the Archers when the Helen and Rob story was big. But, you know, as an editor, you think, well, we just got to bring him back, haven't we? Yes. But I think what I'm really pleased with, and I don't know what you think, is we've kind of sort of turned it on its head so that you're conflicted in every which way. We are. We are. Yes. Totally. Definitely. Don't you you love Helen? Don't you want to kill her? Um, (laughs) A lot of the time, yes. Yes. Exactly. I'm never, I'm never comfortable with her, Jeremy. Because just when I think she's having, she's chill. Her phone will go off. I think, oh god, here's another crisis. She's never allowed to be happy for more than I don't know thirty seconds. She throws all the advice back in Kirsty's face. All she's worried about is hasn't Louisa Patacas played it brilliantly? Yeah, she does. But you know, all she seems obsessed about is cheese wrapping that nobody's going to see. Jeremy, I mean, who, who, who is presented with cheese with wrapping on in a posh restaurant? Uh, yeah, but there's probably a retail outlet. <laughs> but that's my main concern at Grey Gables is the wrapping. <laughs> These things trouble us, Jeremy. <laughs> Talking about cheese, Jeremy, we've been very fortunate to interview members of the cast and we've started this thing where we one week we ask a member of the cast what they want us to ask the person we're interviewing next. And the last person we interviewed was Stephen Kennedy, who, of course, plays the wonderful Ian and uh, we asked him if he had a question for you and he did so just uh, let me read this he says has there been anything that has come as a total surprise since taking the helm good or bad apart of course from the pandemic although I realised there probably couldn't have been a bigger shock than that the technical team who dug us out at that time were nothing short of genius I don't know has there been a total surprise (laughs) Uh, I mean, I think the surprise, the surprise for me is just how busy you are as an as a producer on a show that goes out six days a week, fifty two weeks a year. It is sort of ceaseless, and I mean, I, I kind of knew that, but actually, when you're in the middle of it, you think, "Wow, when do I come up for air?" But Yes. No, I don't think mm. there are any surprises. Uh, mm. Oh, I, I tell you the other th- surprise was that everyone said, oh, it's like a family, it's like a family, it's like a family. And then you arrive and it really is like a family. It really is like a family. And people really look out for each other. And oh. I, I mean, the level of concern, not only for the show, but for everyone's well-being is fantastic. Yes, that's what all the cast members say when they come on here, Jeremy, that this sense of family. And a bit like your Ming Vars, 
painted by Grayson Perry, something to be nurtured and looked after and cared for. Oh, God. I mean, the co- level of commitment to the show is just like phenomenal. Mm. Um, I love that. I, I mean, you were right. I mean, it's 52 weeks of the year. It's, it's unrelenting, isn't it? I mean, as listeners, it's bad enough keeping up with it. But I mean, you've got to live and breathe it weeks in advance. How, how do you come up from air for it and just step back a bit and get away from it? The only time I have done was, it wasn't very pleasant. I got COVID really badly last year and I was off for six weeks. And I, I just, I could barely think, so let alone think about the archers. And it left me thinking, God, I want to get back to the, to Ambridge. It's my safety blanket. Uh, yeah, I find ways of zoning out. I was going to ask you, just going back to your previous job, which was, as you said, Radio 4's commissioning editor for drama and fiction, and you were responsible, I understand, for commissioning over 300 titles a year. I mean, that's a big job in itself. It is editing the archers compared to that a walk in the park, Jeremy? No, they're very different jobs. I mean, I think the interesting thing about being the commissioning editor is you make a decision, yes or no, and I think it's really important and certainly that's the way I, I did it, is that you don't try and executive produce those 300 shows, that what you do is you trust the talent, um, just get on with it. And my view there was I want to commission the absolute best things that, that I can, but actually the way to do that is to take risks and some of those risks pay dividends and some of them, well, you know, um, success has many parents whereas failure is an orphan you just kind of forget about them but you move on um whereas the archers is i mean as, as i said earlier um I, I kind of wanted to get my hands dirty again i mean i think we all come into um jobs like you know the, 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 a job in the bbc as program makers and i loved the commissioning job i mean it was, it was extraordinary it was good fun it was this massive train set i could play with and I had a great time. But actually, what I really wanted to do was go and make a programme. And if you're going to make a programme, I mean, the best programme has to be the Archers, as you said. I mean, it's just, and it's a privilege. Uh, I was going to compare it to David Attenborough, actually. <laughs> David Attenborough was controller of BBC Two, but he then moved back into programming because he just missed it so much. Well, actually, I mean, I hadn't thought of that. But, I, but there was when I was in Bristol, when I was a producer... Alistair Fothergill was the head of the NHU and he was very successful. And and then suddenly he just walked away from it. He said, I want to go make programmes. And he's been incredibly successful as a programme maker. And I thought, God, that's smart. That's really smart. And I think, I, I didn't think of David Attenborough, Sir David Attenborough at the time, but yeah, I mean, he was a brilliant controller of BBC Two as well. And people tell me he's the makings of a really good presenter. It was Alistair Fothergill. I thought, that's a really inspiring thing to do. And it was, I think it was his what he'd done made me think I'll I'll go back into production because I mean I think the problem with some of those kind of commissioning jobs is they're sort of a bit dead endy if you're not careful and I've I've really relished getting back to working on a program it's a great program to be working on obviously otherwise I wouldn't be doing it but it, it absolutely is. And I'm very conscious of time, Jeremy. I've got a last question, which is a short one. But Jeremy, since I've been 15, the only two things I wanted to achieve in my life was becoming an opera singer and being on the archers. So far, I've failed in both quests. And it's unlikely that I will do either. But how can I get a word said on the archers? What, what gifts do I need to bring you for Christmas? 
I'd say just leave a very large carrier bag around the back of the mailbox. Filled with biscuits? Stuffed with. No, biscuits don't really do it for me, I have to say. Or the other way is to train as an actress, get an equity card and prove to us that you're absolutely the the right fit for Sabina Thwaite (laughs) or the Gills. In her defence, Jeremy, she does do Andram. (laughs) She's a talk of Shropshire. That's going to put him off. (laughs) (laughs) And how's how's the opera singing coming along yeah i think i'm gonna have to revert but i'm gonna have to start dusting off my vocal cords because that seems more likely than getting on the arches but it's worth a try but jeremy it's just been wonderful great to talk to you and hear more about the arches we're just so grateful thank you so much for sparing Pleasure. us the time thank you yes yeah, fascinating and i should just say we'll be back as normal for a midweek roundup of what's happened in the arches so far so from all of us bye-bye bye-bye <laughs> Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.